Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. This is the Tom Hartman Program. We get a full show today. All kinds of stuff to talk about, too. First of all, your thoughts on the hearings. Anything that you want to process, decompress, air out, <laughs> consider, reconsider. Also, how Ron Johnson almost got away with treason. I'll be telling you about that in a moment. That's my op-ed from HartmanReport.com today. And how the Republican Party plans to impeach Biden. <laughs> There's actually some really strange stuff going on in, in right-wing media that I've got to share with you. And also, the anti-abortionists, the forced birth crowd, they have some very bad plans for women and their families. And I'll share those details with you. So a lot, lot of territory to cover there. But to start out, how Ron Johnson got away with, uh, almost got away with treason. And he's, by the way, just spinning this. Oh, I didn't know what was going on. I had nothing to do with it. Yeah, I had those things in my pocket to give to Mike Pence, but I don't know what they were. Uh, yeah, right. So we just learned from the January 6th hearings yesterday that Ron Johnson and Andy Biggs, the congressman from Arizona, these were the two elected Republicans who were explicitly, specifically named, name-checked, called out, uh, identified in yesterday's hearings. But that Ron Johnson was trying to hand a phony slate of electors to Mike Pence on the evening of January 6th after the Capitol had been stormed. Or actually, perhaps this interaction occurred before the Capitol was stormed. But in any case, he, was, he wanted to hand these things off to Mike Pence. And his, uh, one of his people, his, I believe his chief of staff, was talking to Mike, one of Mike Pence's people and said, you know, Senator Johnson would like to walk up to, Sen uh, to Vice President Pence and hand him these two documents, Michigan and Wisconsin electors. And uh, Pence's guy said, don't even try. But how did we even get to this point? How did we get close enough that this was even a possibility? Well, it turns out that the entire January 6th hearings, all of these hearings, all of this Sturm and Drang has nothing to do with the election of 2020 and everything to do with the electoral college aspect of the election of 2020. Nobody is disputing that Trump lost the election. I mean, the, the official numbers are that he lost the election out by almost 7 million votes. He lost the, tw the 2016 election by almost 3 million votes. These numbers are broadly not in dispute. I mean, obviously, Donald Trump denies them, but he didn't, you know, he also denies having sex with Stormy Daniels. Um, <laughs> it's like, 
anybody who listens to Donald Trump. Anyway, so, so what's the deal here? What's going on? Well, the Electoral College was put into place by the founders and framers of the Constitution. You know, people say, oh, it was there to protect slavery. In a way, because of the three-fifths compromise, three-fifths of enslaved people in the South were counted as full humans for the purposes of representation in the House of Representatives. And so the result of that was that there were more Electoral College votes in the South than just the white people there who were eligible to vote deserved. And so you, we had four Virginia slaveholders as presidents among our first five presidents. You know, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, uh, James Madison, and James Monroe. The only one who wasn't a, a slaveholder was John Adams, right? So anyhow, that, that happened in part because, uh, but, but you know, if the three-fifths compromise hadn't been there, it wouldn't have mattered. And we might have had a more representative, you know, first couple of decades. The real reason that the, the so that's not the main reason why they put the, uh, the Electoral College into the Constitution. The reason they put the Electoral College into the Constitution, and Hamilton, Alexander Hamilton was quite clear about this. This was, this was uh, an idea that he and James Madison hatched together. And you can read the transcripts of the uh, debates in uh, Independence Hall at the uh, Constitutional Convention in the summer of 1787. You can read those debates, you know, Madison's notes are now published. Pretty straightforward. Their concern was that an agent of a foreign government might become president. And that such a person who was charismatic, as Hamilton called it in Federalist, I believe it was 56, he called it the petty arts of low intrigue. And, and he said, you know, somebody like this would not be able to, the whole point of, you know, could be elected as mayor of a major city, could be elected as governor of a state, because, you know, they would be a good enough con artist to, to, to fool people when, in fact, they were operating in the interests of a foreign country. Keep in mind, in 1787, when this was written, England controlled the land north of us, what we now call Canada. France controlled much of the land to the south and west of us, what we call Louisiana and the, uh, that whole area, the Louisiana Purchase, all the way over to Texas. Uh, Spain controlled Florida and Cuba and everything else. And so we were literally surrounded by three hostile countries, or two and a half. I mean, you know, at that point, France wasn't considered a hostile country. But in any case, you get the point. And so the number one question that, they, that people were asked when it was, you know, uh, uh, when somebody would run for president was, is this guy an agent of a foreign power? And in fact, in the second election, you know, George Washington was our first president, then came the, the election of 1896, uh, which put John Adams into office. John Adams was attacked during that election because he had defended the British soldiers who murdered Crispus Atticus and four other guys you know, back before the American Revolution. He provided free legal services to British soldiers, defending them for killing American patriots. And so he got just attacked 16 ways to Sunday in that election for not being patriotic. This was the concern. Thomas Jefferson was living in France in 1787 when the Constitution was put together. And he was attacked for being 
in, in the election of 1800, which he ultimately won, uh, running against John Adams and others, he was attacked for being an agent of France. So, you know, this was a big deal back then. And the whole point of the Electoral College, and Madison, or Hamilton, excuse me, lays it out in great detail. He said, the process of election by the Electoral College affords a moral certainty that the office of the president will never fall to the lot of any man who is not in eminent degree endowed with the requisite qualifications. Talents for low intrigue and the little arts of popularity may alone suffice to elevate a man to the first honors in a single state, but not to the men of the Electoral College. <laughs> They're going to catch this guy. Now, you know, it hasn't worked out that way. We did have, as president, an agent of a foreign government, Donald Trump. He was actively working on behalf of Vladimir Putin and Russia. They helped him get elected. He served their interests in trying to destroy NATO and the European Union and take down Ukraine, all on behalf of Vladimir Putin, all in the hope that Putin would reward him with a Trump Tower in Moscow. I believe. I mean, we don't know for sure. It could be that he was being blackmailed, but Trump was clearly, I mean, he shut down our, our internal cybersecurity apparatus uh, in, the, in the last two years of his presidency, and Russia marched right in and, and set up shop inside government computers. Trump did that. It's a matter of public record. So we had a foreign agent as, you know, a Manchurian candidate as president for four years. Obviously, the Electoral College didn't work the way that Hamilton thought it would. And so, number one, it's time to do away with it. How do we do away with it? With the national popular vote. Nationalpopularvote.com. Get over there. Check it out. See if your state has, has signed the interstate compact. And if it hasn't, this is a cause that's really worth becoming an activist for. Because we've had two presidents now in the last 20 years who lost the election but, but, but were put in the White House. George W. Bush lost the election of 2000 by 500,000 votes. A half a million more Americans voted for Al Gore than for George Bush. How did he end up in the White House? The Electoral College. Donald Trump in 2016 lost the election by 3 million votes. How did he end up in the White House? The Electoral College. Time to do away with it. And while we're in the process, let's not forget that Donald Trump was criminally trying to manipulate the Electoral College. So, you know, while we're getting rid of it, let's also throw Donald Trump and Ron Johnson and Andy Biggs in prison where they belong. What say you? What do you think about this? Oh, and I've got to tell you about the, the Republican plans to impeach Biden and the, the new anti-abortion scheme. Amazing stuff. Stick around. This is the Tom Hartman Program. What do you think was the most impactful part of yesterday's hearings? And do you think it'll change hearts? Is it in your experience? Judy in Lafayette Hills, Pennsylvania. Hey, Judy, thanks for watching us on Free Speech TV. What's on your mind today? You're welcome, Tom. Um, I enjoy, I've been watching you for years and years. Well, haven't you. talked to you in about five or six years. Oh, my. Um, but... I, I had a thought. I'm a retired teacher. Mm -hmm. I'm a little bit older than you. I'm 76. And um, I taught middle school for most of my career. Not an easy time to teach, but I love them. You know, it's mm -hmm. and one of the things that I taught kids all the time was doing the right thing is the normal part of life. Mm -hmm. And I'm watching the hearings and I'm reading the media 
And while I am so glad Mr. Bowers, Mr. Raffensperger all finally spoke up, I worry about making heroes of people who it took an insurrection for them to do the right thing. Well, not only that, Brad Raffensperger is the guy who purged hundreds of thousands of voters off the voting yes. rolls in Georgia and continues to. He is a big advocate of the voter suppression efforts. Andy Biggs, excuse me, uh, uh, oh, uh, what's the guy's name in the... Rusty Bowers. Rusty Bowers, thank you. Rusty Bowers was the guy who shepherded through the Arizona legislature their voter suppression legislation and a couple of years back their anti-gay legislation. You'll remember that notorious stuff. Oh, so. absolutely, I do. And Rusty Bowers, just after the hearings, Sam Stein reported, Rusty Bowers said that if in 24 it's Biden versus Trump, he'd vote for Trump again. <laughs> and and so I, I sit there and I think, what are we teaching people? Yeah. That doing the right thing, I mean, I like I said, I'm glad Liz Cheney is on the committee. I'm glad Kinzinger is. I hate that anybody, even Republicans, are being harassed. But we need to press the media. These are not the heroes. Now, Shay and her mother, yes, they yes. are heroic. They have no protections of money and an entire party for themselves. Right. Somebody they, stalks a Supreme Court justice, and suddenly we have a law passed yes, in 24 exactly. hours. Exactly. I'm like... And, and as a teacher, like I said, I always said, you know, when you teach middle school, one of the hardest things with kids is teaching them how to deal with bullies without becoming a bully. Yeah. And that's what I see as a metaphor for where we are now as Democrats. We have to stop the Republicans who I basically think are bullies, but we can't become them. Yeah. And we need the media to stop making heroes out of people who only do the right thing at the last minute. Thank you for all the things you teach me. I'm a lifelong learner, and I love your program. Well, thank you, Judy. Thank you. And I completely agree with you. And I, I think that this lionization, and this is now the new thing, you know, this is. Yeah. Um, and I, I get it. You know, there's a lot of ex-Republicans in the media, you know, particularly on MSNBC who are, you know, looking for Republicans that right. they can hold up and say, well, some of us are decent. But Rusty Bowers and Brad Raffensperger are not heroes of democracy. Yes, they stood up to Donald Trump, and God bless him for that. But they yes. have been working to undermine democracy for years and years and years and continue to. Judy, thank you so much for the call and, and for putting that on the record. It was perfect. Perfect. I got a couple of more amazing stories to tell you, and then I will be picking up your phone calls. So stick around. We'll be right back. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant-quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity. And what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. 
We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance, so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman, with two N's, or enter the code Hartman, the two N's, before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome back. Oh, I, the, uh, another piece of testimony that was yesterday that I, has been largely ignored or, or kind of overlooked because it was so brief was uh, Mitt Romney's niece, Rona Romney McDaniel, who is the head of the RNC, testifying that the Trump campaign reached out to her and the Republican Party and said, we want your help in promoting this uh, phony elector slate. I mean, the evidence is so clear that Donald Trump was personally involved in a criminal scheme to steal an election. It's just breathtaking. Okay, let's pick up your phone calls here. Doug in Wilmington, North Carolina. Hey, Doug, thanks for listening to SiriusXM. What's up? Always a pleasure. I believe this is the second time I spoke with you. There's well, really you, no reason to call in uh, because you cover so much and there's really nothing much I can add. But uh, while I was uh, watching the news before your program came on, I saw where uh, one of the main instigators during the January 6th, uh, Mo Brooks, lost his election. Yeah, down in Alabama. Yeah, he was, yeah, and he, yeah, and he was you know, backed by Trump, and now Trump threw him under the bus, and now he's lost. And I hope, I hope Mo Brooks will say, you know what, Donald, screw you. You know, his loyalty, you know, I, yeah, I try to be a friend. You know, I, I even wore in a bulletproof vest. I was willing to give my life for almost sort of my life, you know, to yep. help you get this thing through. And now you throw me under the bus. Now I can give them a lot of information. So I, I hope they call him, and I hope he finally comes to the senses and says, you know what, I'm going to say what the hell you know, I did back there. Yeah. I might be guilty. I might go to jail, but I don't care. I agree with you, you know, Doug, I and I, it'll be interesting to see if that's how it plays out because this really, this, this uh, race, I think more than any other that I've seen, really shows the transactional nature of Donald Trump. He has no loyalties. He has no core beliefs. It's all about him. And what happened was he had supported Mo Brooks. He had endorsed him for re-election. And then yeah. the polls, you know, Kathy Biggs started beating him in the polls. He was a weak candidate. He, he, you know, people in Alabama were kind of over it with all his stunts and weirdnesses and stuff. And, and Kathy Biggs was actually running on issues and pointing out failures of, of Brooks. And as he was sinking in the polls, when it hit the point where it was fairly obvious he probably wasn't going to win the primary against Kathy Biggs, that was the time. That was the moment when Trump pulled his endorsement of Brooks and gave it to Biggs because Trump didn't want to go down in flames with Brooks. And he wanted to say, yeah, I made Kathy Biggs, but she was already ahead of Brooks when, when Trump endorsed her. I mean, that, it's, it's just, it's like 
bizarre. But we'll see. Maybe maybe Mo Brooks will show up. I, I yeah, doubt it. Yeah, I, I think he's facing criminal liability. I hope he does that, but it just would not surprise me if it doesn't happen. I mean, look at what Sean Hannity said something where he had the wrong guest on. Trump kind of threw him under the bus till he came back and kissed his ring. Yeah. Same thing with, you know, Lindsey Graham, Ted Cruz. God, the guy appeared. Um, seemed to keep on calling You're back. You're talking about Kevin McCarthy, the speaker, the, the number two yeah, guy. Kevin McCarthy yeah. and the other guy from North Carolina, when that used to be. I can't, oh, what the hell is this? Never mind. Yeah. I'm sure that's, as soon as I handle it, right, I'll remember it. Yeah, no, I know what you're talking about. Hey, Doug, thank you very much. I, I spot on. Fascinating conversation. We'll see how it shakes out. Mike in uh, Sherville, Indiana. Hey, Mike, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom. I'm going to try to pick your brain here. There was a Daily Coast story within the first couple of months after the 2016 election. And in the article, it was talking about how it had somewhere around 25 to the lower 30s of a number of names that were fake electors. And they named them in the article. And I'm having a heck of a time trying to find that article on Daily Coast. You're trying to find the names of the fake electors in, in a particular state or in the all seven of the states where they well, had them? Yeah, I'm, uh, I don't know. That, that's what the article had. I don't know. I, I'm having a hard time finding that article. Yeah, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't I, know. You can plug it into a search engine and put the, the, the label site, S-I-T-E colon dailycoast.com, and that will narrow your search to that one particular website. But Daily Coast was not the only place where the names of the fake electors have been reported. I mean, they were reported in the New York Times. They were, I believe, uh, they were reported in the Washington Post. At least some of them. Um, and well, if this was for the 2016 election, Tom. Oh, wait a minute. There were fake electors for the 2016 election? Uh, yeah, like I said, in the story, it, it had like 25 to 30-something uh, names in this article. And Whoa. I haven't been able to find, refine that article again. Yeah. Well, it's I know like that, you know, Roger Stone had come up with a whole stop the steal thing for 2016, and they were getting ready to pull the trigger on that. In fact, Trump was expecting that was that was the speech he was supposed to give was I've been robbed. And and, you know, which is why when he won, he was in shock. Um, so it may well be that they had fake electors all figured out at that point. I, but uh, if, if so, that's news to me. I didn't know that. So if, if you yeah, could find I'm not, that, I'm not Mike. I'm sure if maybe that's how they succeeded in 2016 getting the electoral Well, no, they, they succeeded in 2016 by having Vladimir Putin hack the DNC and, and uh, you know, releasing information that looked like it was bad for Hillary Clinton and, and then uh, having the Russian social media trolls churning Facebook. Uh, you know, to the point that they could get, I mean, it was a total of about 70,000 votes across five states that turned the election for Trump. And, and keep in mind, he lost that election by three million votes. This is the, the damage that is being done to our country by the Electoral College. Mike, if you can find that, let me know. Tweet it to me or, or you know, whatever, but, uh, or call back and let us know. But uh, that's a fascinating thing if it's true. Okay, uh, what, what the anti-abortion folks are up to, this is pretty stunning. Thomas LeKay is uh, tweeting about this. He points out this is the National Right to Life Coalition. They have come up with model legislation. It's on their website. You can read it. And it says, you know, it talks about the parts of their efforts. And uh, the first part 
you know, uh, raising awareness, active, mobilizing activists. The second part, and quoting from their website, the second part is an effective enforcement regime. Traditionally, abortion laws relied on criminal enforcement to make pro-life laws effective in protecting unborn life. However, current realities require a much more robust enforcement regime than reliance merely on criminal penalties. Right, seriously. They want to like rewrite the RICO laws so that women getting an abortion can be prosecuted under the criminal conspiracy laws so everybody in their family, anybody who knows they're getting an abortion, anybody who helps them get an abortion can also be prosecuted. They're not even subtle about you know, cr- trying to create a police state here. Quote, aiding or abetting an illegal abortion should include but not be limited to giving instructions over the telephone, the internet, or any other medium of communication regarding self-administered abortions or means to obtain an Ill- illegal abortion. In other words, if you have a website that discusses historically ways that, that women have self-induced abortions or even you know, how to get abortion medication, we're going to prosecute you under the RICO laws, under the criminal conspiracy laws. Hosting or maintaining a website or providing internet service that encourages efforts to ad- obtain an illegal abortion. Criminal. A website. You will be convicted of a crime. Offering or providing illegal abortion doula services. In other words, helping women who, to get an abortion. Or providing referrals to an abortion provider. The penalties for such conspiracy and for such aiding or abetting would be subject to the affirmative defense for a physician to perform a life-saving abortion. To further ensure meaningful enforcement against the performance of illegal abortions, we recommend establishing civil remedies to be brought by appropriate state or local officials and by persons related to the pregnant woman. So your, your crazy nephew can now sue you and get money from you. Back to the law, that this proposed law. This would permit a civil action against a person or entity that violates any provision of the abortion law for injunctive relief sufficient to prevent future violations. For compensatory damages, if the plaintiff has suffered actual injury or harm. For punitive damages payable to the not-for-profit organization of the plaintiff's choice, like maybe the National Right to Life Coalition. Right. Uh, right, and it goes on. We recommend that a civil action for wrongful death of an unborn child be available. It goes on and on from here. I mean, this is like absolute. Oh, <laughs> they, they, this is a blueprint for a Christian nationalist surveillance state. They want to check out your websites. They want to check out what you're saying. They want to be able to prosecute you for what you say. Seriously? In America? Breaking news uh, at the top of the Washington Post, actually, with a big banner breaking news. Lawmakers on the January 6th committee are now uh, being provided with security details. Uh, Adam Kinzinger uh, revealed a couple of days ago that uh, he had received a direct and specific threat to murder him, his wife and and five-year-old son. Now, apparently, or five-month-old, excuse me. And now, apparently, every single member of the committee has received enough death threats it's just, it has exploded uh, since yesterday's testimony that, that they're, they're, some, you know, they're, they're all getting security details. Fascism, anybody? And over at the writing, some of the uh, right-wing media from the last 24 hours, this is just incredible. The American Thinker, five reasons to impeach Joe Biden. 
This is not meant to be a complete list, but it'll do for starters. The reason include his violation of U.S. immigration law constitutes treason. I don't know what law he's violating. I mean, Trump policies are actually still in place down there. And Biden's war on the energy sector to deliberately destroy the U.S. economy. Yes, he's trying to destroy our economy by, by you know, putting some greenhouse or some uh, green panels, some, some solar panels out there and, and helping promote electric cars so that we're not dependent on Saudi Arabia. And that's going to destroy our economy how? Oh, uh, number two, this is from Conservative Brief. Biden aides attacking Harris to prevent her from invoking the 25th Amendment. This is complete fantasy. Uh, Dick Morris made this up on Fox News yesterday, saying that, uh, yeah, they're, they're attacking Harris uh, because uh, they're afraid that she's going to invoke the 25th Amendment because he's old and feeble. Right. None of that is true. Uh, the Washington Times, the headline, the left's grand plan to destroy our country. Democrats are purposely trying to destroy our country as we know it in their quest to change America into a socialist state. Right. And we're doing that, uh, what, by strengthening Social Security? Apparently. Uh, Washington Examiner, Trump and Dems look backward, GOP should move forward. Now, this is interesting. The Democrats' made-for-TV hearings revealed that the Republican Party as a whole, instead they confirmed that the day's constitutional waywardness did not reflect the Republican Party as a whole and underscored the fact that while Trump behaved dreadfully, hey, somebody finally said it, other Republican office holders prudently fulfilled their oaths of office and refused to cooperate. Well, Interesting. Uh, this is from Survival Magazine. What patriotic Americans can do to resist the destruction of our constitutional republic. It cannot be reformed, they write. It can only be ripped out and replaced. Right, our government. Ripped it out and replaced it. With what? Well, let's talk to Viktor Orban, see how it works in Hungary. American greatness. Justice for J-16. Stephen Colbert's insurrectionists must be met with the swiftest and harshest punishment possible. Right. But not the people who attacked the Capitol on January 6th. Amazing. Remember yesterday in the hearings, they were talking about Dan Scavino. I'm, I'm pretty sure his name was mentioned, at least in passing. There was also, you know, a, a couple of explicit uh, reach outs. You know, we'd like to hear from oh, Pat Cipollone. Uh, you know, the, the, uh, the White House counsel was the guy that they really were like, oh, we'd like to have him on. Um, he's not, uh, Cipollone is not in this crowd that I'm going to tell you about, but Scavino is. And in the hearing, I, I believe it was the first hearing, uh, they pointed out, in fact, or maybe it was the second, Zoe Lofgren uh, pointed out that Donald Trump had raised hundreds of millions of dollars for a non-existent election defense fund. And now that these funds, some of these, this is the so-called Save America PAC, is his super PAC. Now that these funds are having to uh, publish their, their data, we're discovering that basically it's a slush fund uh, for what I think is hush money. This is according to, to the PAC's filings more than, well, first of all, obviously, of course, off the top, $200,000 went to Trump's hotels. Stephen Miller was drawing a $4,181.91 salary every two weeks. So, you know, roughly $9,000 a month. Uh, even though the election was uh, over, <laughs> shall we say. Um, uh, others who received bi-weekly pay payments uh, on the payroll included Eliza Thurston, Dan Scavino, uh, Haley DeAntonio, De who is Melania Trump's former chief of staff, Nicholas Luna, and Molly Michael. 
last year. Uh, insider reported this, by the way, my source for this is a piece by Sam Thielman over on uh, uh, AaronRupar.substack.com, the uh, public notice Substack newsletter. He notes that um, in, so last year, Insider reported uh, that all of these people were still drawing exorbitant government salaries until July of 2021. All of them. And Trump's digital director, Brad Parscale, he did really well. He got $10,000 a month for 14 months. And that same amount, $10,000 a month, uh, went to Belmont Strategies, which is a, a Republican PR firm that was representing Steve Bannon, Lev Parnas, and Igor Furman in their uh, legal challenges for laundering Russian money that went to a Trump super PAC in the 2016 election. And then WinRed, the, you know, the Act Blue, if you donate to a Democratic member, it goes to this organization called Act Blue, which is very above board and, uh, you know, very transparent. Well, WinRed, it turns out, which is doing the same thing on the Republican side, was, was started by a bunch of hustlers associated with Donald Trump and endorsed by Donald Trump. Last August, the New York Times reported that WinRed had been inundated with fraud complaints after donors discovered they had been automatically signed up for recurring contributions. So when they gave money back to people, they charged them a transaction fee. Right? It is run by Garrett Lansing, Trump's former digital director, who was fired after failing an FBI background check in 2017. So, you know, he lands on his feet processing hundreds of millions of dollars for Donald Trump. Charlie Kirk's turning point action was paid $60,000, or actually paid $60,000 to Kimberly Guilfoyle for introducing Donald Trump Jr. It's wild. These guys are just the, the money sloshing around. It's incredible. I'll pick up your phone calls on the other side of the break. Do you think that these hearings are changing minds or do you think that it's just digging people in? The fact that the Washington Post is breaking news that the panel, members of the panel are, are having to get security details suggests maybe it's just causing people to dig in. What do you think? Quick math, the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. 
but you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. And welcome back. Jeff in North Hollywood, California, watching us on Free Speech TV. Hey, Jeff, what's on your mind today? I'm calling because of the middle school teacher, that 76-year-old lady who taught middle school that was on her. Mm -hmm. uh, you were asking, should is this going to affect, you know, the uh, sixth thing? Is it going to affect? Is it not going to affect? And she had the answer. You were asking the question. She had already answered the question. She said, uh, doing the right thing is the normal thing. That's what she told her middle schoolers. Right. That's the thing to do. Everybody... You know, everybody's got the inner sense thing, and um, Jiminy Cricket. You know, we, yeah, we just get sidetracked with other stuff that isn't as important as uh, you know the bullies. Yeah. It's easy. I mean, you just tell this guy's a bully. Putin's a bully. Trump's a bully. You know. Anyway, I love your show. I'd like to be out in the streets with a flag, and uh, it's so hard. So. Okay. Thank you, Jeff. Great to hear from you. Ruth in Sturgisville, or Sturgeonsville, Tennessee. Hey, Ruth, what's on your mind? Oh, it says here well, you disagree with me. I'm sorry. I should have put you on earlier. My apologies. That's fine. I just thought that, you know, instead of railroading Trump, that Mr. Biden ought to take a damn good look at what he's done, which is nothing, except screw up what Trump did. Okay. When when Trump was in there, we didn't pay $5 a gallon for gas. Our statues of no, our heroes weren't laying on the ground. All this stuff. And, and they want to talk about the uh, January the 6th. So, hang on just what a second, Ruth. Your, your heroes are Civil War generals who fought to preserve slavery and, and committed treason against our country? Is, is that what you're no. telling me? No. Well, what, what heroes' statues are on the ground that, that. that were not those people? I know. Well, I know that. Okay, but there's a whole lot more. Biden, the minute he got in there, he screwed up everything that Trump had tried to do. What did he screw Trump up? Trump was a good president. He was the best damn president we ever had. Trump was a criminal. ever will have. And still is, Ruth. Yes, he is. And he lied to you every day. Trump lied over 30,000 well, times. Well, I, don't, I, don't, I don't understand how you can follow a guy who lies, who has a sexually assaulted 20 women, who was sleeping with a couple, you know, paying women for sex, $100,000 to have sex with him, who, I don't who, know who she was about cheated that. on every single one of his wives with his next wife. I, you know, all I know is this, this man know is corrupt. I know that. No, you've been our, watching. Our, uh, you've been we watching Fox News. We Financially, were, we were all better shape. We, we lost were. eight million jobs. Trump lost yeah. more jobs than Herbert Hoover lost. Ruth. Well, I don't see it that way. Okay. Let me tell you, Ruth, I am. A I, I believe you. I believe you. But you cannot Ruth, change my the way I think about Biden. I just don't. I guess I, I can't get it. Ruth, I got to run. I'm sorry. Thank you for the call. So I rest my case. Uh, I'll tell you about Ron Johnson and fake news, and I'll pick up your phone calls. So how do you know which party has the most crooks in it? You know, the Republicans are always saying, oh, those Democrats are soft on crime, and, you know, a lot of murders in Democrat-run cities. Well, for the record, first off, uh, red states and red counties have a higher per capita murder rates than do blue states and blue counties. This is just a, a fact. 
But secondly, uh, let's look at some of the administrations. I mean, the Obama administration had no criminal indictments. The Jimmy Carter administration had one. The Bill Clinton administration had two. But what about the Republican administrations? It was 16 for George W. Bush. It was 26 criminal indictments for Ronald Reagan. Richard Nixon's administration had 76 criminal indictments. And of course, the full-time professional rapist and grifter, Donald Trump, he had 215 criminal indictments. So who's really soft on crime? We got a video about it over at TomHartman.com. You can check it out. So Ron Johnson, this is hysterical. Ron Johnson was called out yesterday in the hearings. He had in his pocket the fake electors, uh, signature, the signed fake elector certificates from Michigan and Wisconsin on January 6th. And he wanted to give them to Mike Pence. And his chief of staff, Sean Riley, texted Chris Hodgson, who was uh, the uh, assistant to Mike Pence, who was there, you know, on January 6th in the Capitol building, and said, uh, Senator Johnson would like to uh, give an alternate slate of electors to the vice president. And uh, Pence's guy, Hodgson, texted back saying, do not give that to the former vice president. You may not do that. So that came out yesterday. And then CNN's Manu, Manu Raju is a, just a great reporter. This guy is a, a, he's so tenacious. He's a pit bull. He's, he's chasing Ron Johnson around. And he's like, you know, what's the deal here, Senator? What, what, what happened? Why did you try to do this? And Johnson goes, oh, it's such a non-story. It was a staff-to-staff -staff deal. Those are his act, exact words. He said, some staff intern from the House said the vice president needed this or whatever. I wasn't involved. Except that he had it in his pocket. I mean, who gave it to him? And he didn't even look at it? Here, give this to the vice president, please. What is this, an envelope full of anthrax? I mean, I... So anyhow, he says, uh, Ron Johnson, Senator Johnson, Wisconsin Republican Senator Ron Johnson goes out to say, I'm not, I was not involved in this at all. I don't know why you're asking me these questions. Why, do, why don't you just leave me alone? Right. This is, I mean, you know, Johnson's up for re-election this year. And, and, uh, and this guy is like trying to hug Trump. And now it's coming out that in his trying to hug Trump, he may have committed some really serious crimes. So where does this go? I don't know, but keep an eye on this. Watch this space. So let's pick up some of your phone calls here. John in Bellingham, Washington. Hey, John, what's on your mind today? You know, the, the simplest solution to what Donald Trump might have on other Republicans is that he might have the information that the Kremlin's collected over the years. Putin could feed him selective information for any congressman because you know they've accumulated a lot. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, the way that you're, you're, yeah, your that, strategy or, uh, you know, uh, concept makes more sense, frankly. Sure it does. We, are, we know, well, we have pretty good suspicion that Trump is an asset of the KGB. Whether he even knows it or not, yeah. he may not be bright enough to realize that he's being used. Oh, I think he does. He Why else would he suck up to Putin in Helsinki and Helsinki and trash American intelligence agencies? Why else would he try to destroy NATO on behalf of Russia? Why else would he, would he diss the European Union? Because the, the KGB also has a lot of information on powerful, rich people in yep. the United States. Yep. Yep. Including Donald One of Trump. Might have I been Donald Trump. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I think you may be right, John. John, thanks a lot for the call. Tony in Wilkesbury, Pennsylvania. Hey, Tony, what's on your mind today? Oh, hi, Tom. Earlier in the show, you asked if this 
uh, January 6th commission is going to change anybody's mind? Yeah. And the answer is it is absolutely not. Um, and the answer is the Republicans who believe in Trump and believe in all his to-dos, they're, let's call it like it is, they're all racist. They are racist, and that trumps everything. Racism yeah. trumps everything. The reason we don't have single-payer health care is racism. Yeah, I think I think Ruth kind of gave that away when she called a little bit ago and she said, yeah, you know, Ruth, everything was good when Trump was president. Our our heroes were not, yeah. the statues of our heroes were not laying on the ground. And I'm like, wait a minute, our heroes, the traitorous yeah. Southern generals yeah. who went to war to preserve slavery? I know. Okay, so I get what's going on here. And, and it's all, the, the common denominator of all this is it all goes back to racism. Yeah. And we, we, we just can't change it with the a commission, and it's not going to change. I don't know how it's going to change, but it's not. And I don't know the There is no answer to that. I don't know. But it's either, I, and I personally live in a sea of red here in this northeastern part of Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. And I personally, I'm not talking about for everybody, I don't know one Republican who is not either a closet racist or an outright racist. I really don't. And if that person could please come forward to me, I would. Now, before my father-in-law was a Republican, and God bless him, he was a, an Eisenhower Republican. Right. And, like my dad. Uh, and, uh, yeah, post, post-Eisenhower and pre-Eisenhower are two different Republicans. Yep. Uh, the, the posts are, and it has a lot to do with Lyndon Johnson in 64, but... Well, I think it's pre and post Barry Goldwater, actually. Yes, yes. Because um, that was the takeover. That was that was that moment when he gave that speech in 1964 yes. to, the, to the Republican convention and said, you know, uh, in radicalism or, or whatever the word was he used in defense of liberty is no vice and moderation right. is no virtue. Uh, that that was the moment when the GOP changed, as far as I can tell. Tony, thank you for the call. I think you may be right. Although I suspect a lot has to do with people's media diets. And Ruth, if you're still watching, I I hope you'll spend a little more time with Free Speech TV and a little less time with Fox. And Mark in Portland, Oregon. Hey, Mark, what's on your mind today? I'm kind of wondering if you have an idea as to why... A criminal indictment wasn't handed down to uh, Mark Meadows or Scavino. You know, they were they divide this, the congressional subpoena to appear, but the DOJ decided not to indict them. And do you have an idea or speculation as to why? My understand, although the DOJ has not uh, publicly issued a statement saying why they have chosen not to. Uh, typically, they they don't do that. They only because it might be viewed as exoneration or something or whatever. They only tell you when they do indict somebody. But the speculation that I'm reading in basically, you know, the Washington Post kind of media is that they feel that because Scavino and and Meadows were both direct employees of the federal government and of the president, they worked in the executive branch and they were in a position to have privileged counsel, privileged conversations with Donald Trump as president, that they should be given greater deference, Trump's claims of executive privilege, even though they don't legally hold to this moment. Right now, the only claims of executive privilege can be made by Joe Biden because he's the only executive we have. But that those claims of executive privilege are strong enough that 
they're not going to go after them. Unlike Steve Bannon, who wasn't in the, you know, who wasn't working in the White House and drawing a salary at the time. Well, I think that's that's fine. I'm just wondering, um, you know, even if they're if they're not indicted for defying a congressional subpoena, they can still be indicted for other crimes uh, outside of defying. That's correct. I think they should be indicted for defying the congressional subpoena, and I know a lot of a lot of the uh, members of the committee believe that too. There, there's there's right. a bunch of committee members who are seriously pissed off with Merrick Garland for going going weak or going light on, uh, in particular, uh, uh, Meadows. And I was just thinking one more thing. Uh, you know, if you could, if you kind of in the last since the Trump's administration, the very beginning, and the Mueller uh, investigation, I think if you could pin one person as being responsible for uh, Trump's longevity, it might be Rod Rosenstein. I mean, he really narrowed the parameters of that investigation for Bob Mueller. I mean, uh, had he said follow the money, I mean, Trump may not have finished his term. Oh yeah. But uh, yeah. you know, I think uh, Rod Rosenstein. Uh, has a lot to do with Although uh, I suspect Trump he's going to be lionized tomorrow in the hearings. Well, probably. Unfortunately. That, I, uh, I yeah. mean, you know, just, just like Raffsenperger, uh, the news is breaking. He just purged a whole bunch, uh, another large tranche of black voters in Georgia off the voting rolls, apparently yesterday or today. His name is appropriate, Perger, right? Uh, do you know, uh, has, has Congress, like a panel like January 6th, ever called other active Congress people to testify? I mean, the Freedom Caucus, I mean, they've got, they've got their fingerprints all over this. So having Boebert and, uh, you know, uh, uh, Green and, and these other bigs testifying, ordered to testify before Congress, I mean, you don't see that. But I'm wondering, has that ever happened before, or do you think it will happen? Uh, members of Congress have testified before Congress before, but there has never been a situation like this, or, or even closely analogous to this, to the best of my knowledge. Um, I, I'm guessing probably toward the end. You know, they, they announced yesterday that while they're going to hold tomorrow's hearing, uh, and it'll start just after we get off the air, it'll start at 3 o'clock Eastern time, um, that they're going to postpone all the rest of the hearings that they had planned for June, and they're going to bump everything back to July because they're getting so much new evidence and information. You know, people are coming forward. And I, I think they're really starting to bite, and that's why all of a sudden, I mean, there's just, uh, if, uh, go over to rawstory.com, there's uh, multiple stories about how, and, and also the Washington Post, it was breaking news in the Washington Post, how the death threat, the level of death threats being directed to the members of the committee yeah. has just exploded in the last 24 hours. And I'd say the reason why is because it's fairly obvious that, you know, they're in the process of taking down Trump and and his his brown shirts uh, or, you know, whatever you want to call them, yellow shirts, I guess, is the Boys. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, the yellow, you know, they, they uh, yellow and black, I think, are the colors for the Proud Boys. So we call them the yellow shirts right. are uh, right. are not happy. And, uh, you know, you've, you've got these threats happening. So we'll see how it plays out. Mark, thanks a lot for the call. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. This is the Tom Hartman Program.
Our book today in the Tom Hartman Book Club is by Michael Waldman, the head of the Brennan Center, actually, and it's titled The Fight to Vote. This is from the introduction. On August 9, 1787, in a locked room at the Constitutional Convention, delegates debated the shape of America's new system of elections. A handful wanted to give state legislatures unfettered power to set the rules. But James Madison recoiled. The Virginian, architect of so much of the Constitution, was determined to give the national government authority to override the machinations of state politicians. It was impossible to foresee all the abuses that might be made of the discretionary power, Madison warned. He sketched out an array of ways to manipulate voting rules. Quote, whenever the state legislatures had a favorite measure to carry, they would take care so to mold their regulations as to favor the candidates they wished to succeed, end quote. Madison's view carried the day. Well, over two centuries later, on June 25th, 2013, the U.S. Supreme Court struck down the key provision of the Voting Rights Act, that landmark civil rights law. Just two hours after the announcement, the state of Texas implemented new rules. Texans would now have to show a state-issued photo ID to vote. The law was mischievously crafted by the state's Republican lawmakers. Voters could present a concealed carry gun permit, for example, but not a University of Texas student card. Instantly, hundreds of thousands of citizens, disproportionately African-American or Hispanic, many of whom had cast ballots for decades, were no longer eligible to vote. One of them was Sammy Louise Bates. She grew up in Mississippi in the 1940s and remembered carefully counting out her money so her grandmother could pay her, the state's notorious poll tax. Bates had voted since she was 21. After living in Chicago and Detroit, she retired to Round Rock, Texas, where she lived on Social Security and little else. Now she would have to obtain her birth records from Mississippi if she wanted to vote again. Sitting at a burnished conference table in a law firm office, Bates was asked why she had not quickly procured the paperwork. Quote, I had to put $42 where it was doing the most good. I was feeding my family, she explained. She gazed evenly at her questioner. We couldn't eat the birth certificate. In October 2014, persuaded by Bates's videotape testimony, among others, a federal judge struck down Texas's voter law. In 2016, the nation's most conservative appeals court agreed. How could this be happening now? We Americans are proud of our democracy, the world's oldest. That system rests on the right to vote. The idea that every citizen should have an equal voice, one person, one vote. Yet today that democracy seems to be under siege and the right to vote has become the fight to vote. The wave of laws attempts to make it harder to vote in dozens of states for the first time since the Jim Crow era. Vast sums from a handful of donors, much of it donated secretly, dominate campaign spending. Pervasive gerrymandering ensures that most elections are not even competitive. Once again, core tenets of American democracy are the subject of heated and surprising controversy. Today's arguments are intense and consequential, but they are not new. The fight to vote has always been at the heart of our national story, and raucous debates over how to expand democracy have always been at the center of American politics. Our effort to translate ideals into the reality of representative government has been about more than process. For more than two centuries, it's been raw, rowdy, a fierce and often rollicky struggle for power. At every step of the way, while some fought to gain a voice in their government, Others fought just as hard to silence them. 
This book looks at that full history. The fight to vote didn't start recently or even half a century ago in Selma, Alabama. It's been underway for over 240 years, ever since the country's beginning. This book puts that battle fully in political context, for politics was never far from the concerns of those who fought for the vote. It traces the way voting rules have always entangled with broader issues of wealth, class and race, campaign finance, and political parties. In all this, it illuminates some lessons from the past that provide a context for today's controversies. Creative and controversial leaders waged these fights, some well-known, others lost to obscurity. There was Benjamin Franklin leading a working man's movement in Pennsylvania that demanded the right to vote for those who didn't own land. Frederick Douglass, who grasped with unfiltered eloquence the idea that enfranchisement was the next great struggle after the abolition of slavery. Or creative agitators such as Inez Milholland, a young lawyer astride a white horse who led parades for voting rights for women. There were crafty politicians pressed by social movements, Martin Van Buren, Lyndon Johnson, who etched the effort into law. And then there were men who worked as hard to restrict the vote as others did to expand it, such as John Randolph of Roanoke, who fought to deny the franchise to men without property, declaring, I am an aristocrat. I love liberty. I hate equality. John Wilkes Booth moved to murder by President Abraham Lincoln's seeming change of heart on voting. Paul Weyrich, founder of the modern conservative movement, who mocked religious figures who want everybody to vote and thundered, I don't want everybody to vote. The book by Michael Waldman, The Fight to Vote. Sue in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Hey, Sue, what's on your mind today? Well, hi, Tom. I was hoping you could talk me down from all my anxiety. <laughs> um, I'm really worried international relations with Putin. I visited Ukraine and Russia in 1978 on a family vacation. And um, I'm just so upset about Ukraine. Well, I was upset about Afghanistan. Now I'm upset about Ukraine. And now, you know, it's just really so alarming because this one man can basically ruin the entire world, you know, the way we were. And uh, so do you have any words on that? Vladimir Putin is a thug and a war criminal. He has murdered hundreds of thousands of Ukrainians so far, perhaps millions or perhaps a million, uh, probably hundreds of thousands. Um, I, yeah. think th I think his uh, reckoning will come. Uh, I, I don't know exactly how it's going to play out, but uh, I, I don't think that getting upset is going to help any, Sue, but, but you know, or, or you know, uh, diminishing your quality of life is going to help. But um, speaking out about it, speaking up about it, I think the biggest danger that Ukraine has right now and the biggest hope that Putin has is that this will fade from our attention, that we'll get what uh, they're referring to now as Ukraine fatigue, and we'll, yeah. we'll stop paying attention to it. I don't intend to stop yeah. paying attention to it, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm grateful to see that a lot of the media is still you know, uh, covering Ukraine. We don't have correspondence there uh, quite as much as we used to. And the biggest issue, I mean, outside of just the general fairness, you know, this, this thug comes in and just starts indiscriminately murdering people, and the whole world is like, oh my God, what are we gonna do? And now China and India are buying all of the Russian oil. And so Russia is actually making more money on oil now than they were before the oil embargo. Right, uh, like thanks a lot, right? Yeah, exactly, and especially to Mr. Modi in India. But the biggest concern is this Ukraine fatigue and the biggest way that we can combat that, I think, frankly, 
is by keeping the story going and keeping it circulating. Sue, I've got to move along, but thank you for the call. I share your concerns. I, I really do. And let's see here. Renee in Minneapolis watching on Facebook Live. Hey, Renee, what's on your mind today? Um, I don't think that it's going to change any Republicans' minds because even the people that I know, they are not either paying attention or they just don't care. But nothing happened to Reagan. Nothing happened to GHW. Nothing happened to Awa Bush. Nothing happened to Cheat and Cheney. They all just, Nixon, they just all, Agnew, they all got off and, oh, well, they hurt their feelings. But they weren't prosecuted. They weren't thrown in jail. They weren't charged a fine. Well, I think Agnew did. But yeah, Agnew, I think Agnew just in exchange for resigning as vice president, they dropped the charges against him. I could be wrong on that. Maybe maybe there was some minor conviction, think, but he didn't go to jail. I, I think, think they did. I think they did fine him some. I mean, he could was be. he had millions of dollars, Nixon, billions by the time you figure in what we paid for them to their retirement and their health care and everything. But yeah, both of them took just, millions in bribes. I mean, we know that Nixon oh, was yeah. bribed by the mafia. He was bribed by Jimmy Hoffa. Yeah. He was bribed by the milk lobby. Yeah. Uh, he was bribed by the yeah. oil industry. <laughs> Nixon, Nixon was just, yeah. his, his hand was out all the time, as was apparently Agnews. I'm, I'll take anything that they can give this orange creature, but doggone, I just don't think. I get it. Renee, thank you. you. Yep, spot on. Okay, I'm with you. you thank you. Yep, you're welcome. Good talking to you. Chris in Chicago. Hey, Chris, what's on your mind today? I wanted to tell you the story of my mother watching the hearings. Okay. Um, those hearings have changed her mind. Really? She voted for Trump twice. Whoa. And after the second hearing, I think, was talking to me and said that she thinks Trump should be charged with inciting that crowd and then said, worst president in history. Wow. And I about... I about fell out of my chair. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. It convinced her, and what got her is the $250 million fundraising off people that she knows are just like her on fixed incomes that could least afford it. That made her mad. I wonder so, if she was one of the people who got, who got taken advantage of. I asked her, and I know my mom, she's way too cheap for that. She's not giving money to anybody. Uh-huh. Okay, but she got <laughs> so, it. She got it. But she gets it, and it that all the rest of it. But that's what really made her mad is him taking that money from people that can't afford it, and she knows it. Well, that's where that's where the grift becomes obvious. You know, a lot of us figured out a long time ago that Trump was a grifter. You know, Ivanka and Don Jr. lying about real estate. I mean, that they they almost got busted for that. It was a whole expose about that in Rolling Stone. You know, back before the election in 2016. You know, that they were lying to people who were buying condos and stuff. It's pretty incredible. Yeah, Chris, thank well, you. It is, it is changing some minds. Well, that's good to hear. That's, you, you, just, you just made my afternoon. Chris, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Made my day. We'll be back tomorrow. The hearings tomorrow will be uh, starting after our show is over. So we can, you know, talk about what we're anticipating. We'll, we'll have a lot of other things to talk about as well. And don't forget, in the meantime, democracy is not a spectator sport. It does require all of us, which means you. So there are things you can do. Get out there, get active, tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a great afternoon. Be good to yourself and the people around. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 